afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity, with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Good afternoon, everyone. Ina, and welcome to Why Shamanism Now, A Practical Path to Authenticity. I'd like to call in the spirits of the ancestors, those who bring all that is good and true and beautiful in your ancestral line to you and to me. To everyone who is listening, I call out to those ancestors to be with us here today, for it is their dream that dreamt of a future and brought us here to this planet, that we might be here together at this time. And that is a miracle and a blessing. And so for the miracles and the blessings and the grace and the beauty that moves in and flows into and between each of our lives, I give thanks. And I ask the ancestors to be with us here today to support us in this time. I call out to the earth to be with us here today to be a firm foundation below our feet and help us to know that we belong, that we are here in the body we are meant to have on the planet we are meant to live on in the time we are meant to be, that we have been called. And each one of us has a soul's purpose and a soul's gift to be given in this time, and the world needs your gifts, desperately. And the reason we are here together listening and asking questions and being in discourse together here on this earth at this time is because humanity needs your gifts, not just mine, yours. And I hope today that we can inspire you to take a step towards manifesting those gifts in your life. We call out to the energy of the sky above to bring down blessing and generosity and protection that we might each fill our lungs with that energy and go forward in a way that brings all that is good and true in our ancestral lines out through our actions here on earth now, at this time and this place. And finally, I call out to the energy of the heart that connects us all that energy that is the same in all realms that connects us and binds us with all living things. I call out to the energy of the heart in the human that allows us to reach deep within ourselves to the passions and to bring that energy forward to the heart and to reach deep into our mind for our greatest clarity, that which rests far away from the stories and the distractions and the dramas and the expectations of others but that clarity within your mind that rings like a bell when your mind touches on the truth of why you are here. So we're calling on the energy of the heart as that magical place that blends the passions of the body and the clarity of the mind together in the heart that you might find your soul's purpose and manifest it here with your life. And to do so in time to enjoy, to share, to celebrate the fruits of that labor. Welcome, everyone, to today's show, which is Shamanism, Passion, and Sex. Why? Why are we talking about these things at a time when the president's traipsing about the globe, talking with world leaders about huge, impactful things? I'm often accused of not paying attention to what's going on. Well, we're doing this because I am paying attention to what's going on. I just happen to believe that doing more of what humanity has already done for the last 50 years isn't going to change things. That I believe that part of my gift, part of the reason I've been called into this place and time now, is to assist us in transformation. That we might come up with new actions, new thoughts, new words, new deeds 
that can bring the transformation necessary to this time that we are sharing on this planet. So it's not that I don't believe all of these outer actions are necessary. I certainly do. But I also believe that new actions are necessary and those of us that have the courage to transform or are simply tired of the old ways or have grown bored with who we are or willing to leap forward into something else because it's, it's going to take not only maintaining and sustaining that which supports life on the planet, but it's also going to take those who are willing to risk something new to, to draw humanity into a new possible future. And I don't presume for a moment to know exactly what that is. I simply know, because it rings my truth cord, that my job is not to do the same thing that's been done. I've been around almost 50 years, almost half a century, and that's one thing I'm really clear about. That's not my job. So for those of you that are inspired to do something new, do something different, be part of an answer that hasn't been manifest before, listen up. Call in, send an email. This is the show for you. So there's a quote that I'd like to share from Dane Rudyar from um, the book called Culture, Crisis, and Creativity. Only a naive and unhistorical mind can think that facts are more powerful than myths. All radical changes in human history are the result of the spread of a myth that, in a totally convincing manner, answers a crucially experienced need at a period of crisis. So let us today entertain for this hour that possibility that myths are more powerful than facts and that the facts of your life can be released and overrun by the sheer power of the myth that desires to move through you. And it is through passion through sex, through life, through engaging in our humanity, that we free ourselves from the nitpickiness of the story and throw ourselves on the myth and write it. And that's what we're talking about today. So before I go too much further, I'd like to talk about a couple words that will come up again and again. And I'm sure they come up again and again in your own life. And this is the word change and the word transformation. And I've probably said this before in another show, but I'd like to say it again. Change allows you to change back. There's nothing wrong with that, but that is the nature of change. So you can change your shoes, and then you can always go back to those old slippers. right? You can always change back. Transformation is a quality of change that does not allow that return back to what was. Transformation closes that back door and forces us forward and demands of us that we find a way to be in the new world. And so transformation is the essence of the shamanism that I practice. I don't practice the shamanism of a traditional culture. I practice what I feel is the essence of all shamanism, which is the ability to work with spirit to create true transformation for humans and their relationships with nature, all living things, the invisible world, the physical world, all of that. So we're talking today about transformation and about what is it that we could do differently 
different from what's being done already all around us. Um, that is necessary to create the transformations humanity and the environment and the future is calling for. So we, in past episodes of this show, you've listened to Sandra Ingerman talk about how the outer world is simply a reflection of the inner world. And so our work towards internal transformation is a gift to the external world. We cannot act simply to change what is outside of us and allow um, our emotional life, for example, to go unexplored because that internal chaos will manifest chaos out, outside of us. And so personal transformational work is global transformational work. That doesn't mean that's all you get to do, but it is part of it, and it is not enough to simply focus outward. And this is part of what Sandy spoke to so beautifully. And we had Martin Brennan on the show in February who was talking about ancestral healing. This is another place where I believe we must engage or we will not have the freedom to make new choices. We will simply repeat those ancestral patterns over and over and over again. There are no wars. There is one war. It is our ancestors' war that we are still fighting. If we want a change, we must heal the unresolved issues about that war in our ancestral lines. That's what I believe is our solution. Do we need to get the troops out? Yeah. Do we need to do those physical world things? Yes. But if we don't want to just repeat the pattern, if we want transformation, we must deal with what's held in the ancestral lines. Ed Tick came on and talked about shamanism and how it can be used effectively to offer warriors, those who have fought for this country, the transformation they need to truly heal PTSD. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to about this show that simply have accepted the psychological belief that some things cannot be healed. Well, if psychology is all you're willing to use, that may be true. If allopathic medicine is all you're willing to use, that may be true. If shamanism is all you're willing to use, that may be true. But if you're willing to bring shamanism in to a path of healing, I believe there is nothing that cannot be healed, particularly when we are talking about the wounds of the soul. We also had Lenore Norgard with us talking about her experience today out in the green space of your own cities using shamanism, shamanistic ritual, to create social change happening all around you it's a great caravan get on board this is the place where transformation is happening so one thing is certain if you want change in your life in your world in what your government is doing in what the planet is doing and what other people's governments are doing if you want change anywhere inner outer anywhere you're going to have to change I cannot tell you how many people come to me and say, I want this, 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 this to be different in my life, but I don't personally want to change. Well, it isn't going to work that way, people. So let's, like, sit up and get busy here. So next week, we have a shaman, Ray Stubbs, with us. And I'd like to share a quote uh, from Ray, because this show in many ways is just a warm-up for Ray, who's going to talk about um, the sexual shaman, which is really a talk, another show about transformation. 
But this is what Ray says. Not all change is transformation. Only when we change intrinsic structure of something do we literally have transformation. This is the essence of shamanic transformation, which is Ray's work, and we'll be talking about that next week. So I want to share a little bit about this. Sometimes teachers come in really interesting forms, but I was on an airplane and many years ago, and on that airplane the movie was called The Last Holiday, and Queen Latifah was the movie star in that movie, and it was a really sweet movie. But there's a moment. She thinks she's dying, so she's gone off to spend her entire life savings on a life she never had uh, because she's pretty sure she's going to die in a number of months. Many, many things ensue, but there's a moment where she's looking in the mirror as she's emerged as her true self. She's not afraid to say what she believes. She's just finally really fully being who she is. Why not? She knows she's going to die tomorrow. She says to herself in the mirror, with great compassion and love, it's a very sweet moment, she says, next time we'll do things different. We'll laugh more, love more, and we just won't be so afraid. Next time we'll do things different. We will laugh more, love more, and we just won't be afraid. I say, why wait until next time? This is the time now. This is the opportunity to learn, to transform into a person who laughs more, who loves more, and who just isn't so afraid. So this My friends, colleagues, people who are listening, maybe those who are listening for the first time, this is what we're talking about today, is what transformations are necessary so that we just won't be so afraid. So here's our first break. Remember, we're live. Feel free to call in or email. Thank you all. Welcome back, everyone. So as I'm sure you can tell, this is what I have passion for. There is nothing that I feel more passion for than transformation and supporting people in transformation in their life. And I'm sure you'll be able to tell today as we go through this show. I love interviewing these amazing people and hearing what they have to say and all they have to share, but this is my passion. And so how did I find it? I was as confused as anybody else, especially in my 20s, for goodness sakes. So, So what I understand is that the first thing that needs to happen is to get unwound from a child-driven experience of life. And what I mean by that is to get your thoughts, your words, your deeds unwound from the constant motivation of what didn't, didn't happen in your childhood. And that, that constant feeling that you have to settle accounts for what did and didn't happen, the, whether you want to call it the wounded child story. I don't care what you call it. You can call it the Billy Bob story. It doesn't matter. The point is it's this child-need-driven motivation for thoughts, words, and deeds. And I feel like shamanism's great gift to me, and I feel for anybody who picks it up, is the gift for us today is divine inspiration with direct application. And what I mean by that is I, as an everyday person, through my own helping spirits and through the willingness to use the discipline and spend the time to develop a relationship can develop a working relationship with spirit that can bring divine inspiration into my life. And I'm not talking crazy talk. You all heard Sandra Ingerman talking about that last week. And if you didn't hear Sandy talking about it last week, 
download the show and listen. Okay, so we have divine inspiration with direct application because one of the things I have to tell you is the helping spirits are about getting it done. It's not all lofty, woo-woo, la-la stuff like you sometimes get from channeled information. It's like, oh, that's great, but what the hell do I do with that? The point of the shamanic relationship between the human and their own spirit help is to get an understanding of what's going on and through a sequence of logical questions to come to a place where the helping spirits can offer up to you guidance in action in life. So this, this paradox between divine inspiration and direct application is particularly helpful when you finally commit to untangling your passion from all of the misinformation, confusion, and shame that's been heaped on it by being a typical American. And I'm not going to blame anybody. The point is we get a ton, a ton of free software. We get free downloads from our family, from the time we live in, from our culture, from our religion, from our school experience, tons of free software. And the truth of the matter is, you know, just like it used to be when AOL kept sending me software that I didn't even have the right computer for, I don't want the software. You don't want the software. It was a free download, but just because it's free doesn't mean it's good. And so one of the greatest helps for an everyday person with a helping spirit and that working relationship we've talked about developing with your helping spirits, again, this is not willy-nilly talking to any voice in your head. This is using shamanic disciplines and practice to develop an ongoing working relationship with spirit help that is here to assist you in living your soul's purpose. So it takes a little discipline and a great deal of imagination. But once you've developed that, you can use your helping spirit's eyes to see yourself in ways you can't see yourself. Because your helping spirits see you as spirit all the time. Every once in a while you have to even remind them, oh, by the way, I'm in a body, happens to be human, feel a little limited by that. But they are constantly engaging with you as a colleague, as a spirit being who just happens to be embodied here on this planet. And they're not caught up in the drama. And they are a great assist. They are quite happy to scare you to death so that you step into life, to tell you exactly where the path you're on is leading, to scare the poop out of you, so you step off that path into something that is truer, cleaner, clearer, more directly related to your soul's purpose. The helping spirits are quite happy to tell you the truth that will bring you to your knees, bring you to tears that just rock your world, bring you to release and ultimately stillness. Your helping spirits are happy to eat you, to poop you out, to vomit you up, to do whatever is necessary to cleanse you of the energies that no longer serve you. They're even happy to have intercourse with you. Since we're talking about sex today, we can talk about that. If, If that activity is in the service of bringing you to the essence of your life, and the purpose of bringing you to your essence is you can start to live your life from the inside out not from the outside, from that free software, from the story, from the story in. But you can be motivated by what moves you at your core, your essence, your passion, and begin to live from that place. And it's a confusing time because you're usually somewhere in between. What is my essence and I'm still stuck in my story? But the helping spirits are there continuously to support you in extending yourself out from your essence into your life. And there is a piece from a 
really often quoted quote by Lao Tzu, the Chinese mystic, and he says, free from desire, you realize the mystery. Caught in desire, you see only the manifestations. And this is what I'm talking about, is using our relationship with our helping spirits to free us from desire so that we can realize the mystery in life and the great mystery, ultimately. And not to stay caught in the unresolved desires of the child um, so that we see only those manifestations around us. So for me, I owe an enormous debt of gratitude to a man named Gary Waldorf, who at a particularly horrible, low time in my 20-year-old life, when everything was bad and going worse, in the midst of me sobbing in a therapy session about all of that, he asked me, where was my bliss? And at the moment... That seemed like the cruelest thing that he could do. Had I not been dissolved into a pool of tears when he asked me, I probably would have launched across the room and gone for his throat. I was so angry. It felt so hurtful and so painful to be asked a question that felt so far away from where I was in that moment. And as I finally looked up to him with this combination of of suffering and anger and tears in my eyes, he, he had the audacity to say to me, and sex doesn't count. She was really driving me to where is my bliss, what is my passion, at this time in my life when everything was just rotten, just rotten. And even so, I have to thank this man for this moment, because when I woke the next day, even though I didn't necessarily want to wake up the next day, when I woke the next day, lodged in my heart like an arrow was that question. Where is my bliss? In my mess of a life, I lay there in bed and asked myself that question. What would I do today if I knew I was going to die tomorrow? Just like Queen Latifah in the movie, but the movie hadn't come out yet. What would I do today if I knew I was going to die tomorrow? And I thought about all the things I had on my list to do today. And it was a weekend, and this wasn't even about work. This was a weekend. I looked at that whole plan for the day, and there wasn't a damn thing on that plan I would have done that day if I knew I was dying the next. Not a thing. And that answer was unacceptable. It was honest. It was true. It was accurate. And it was unacceptable. And it's at that time, in that moment, thanks to Gary Waldorf, a man I've never been able to find since. For all I know, he was a helping spirit. He was just manifesting for him because I was too stupid to get it any other way. I don't even know. I'd love to find him and thank him, frankly. But because he had the courage in the midst of my suffering to push me to that place of transformation, not just change, not just a new job, a new boyfriend, a new whatever, but transformation, to push me to that place of transformation in my life where I realized that the entire motivational structure of my life that had organized my plan for that day was not acceptable. It wasn't good enough. I wasn't living in a way that was good enough for myself. And in that moment, on that morning, I committed to myself to live a life of passion, having absolutely no idea what that meant. And that is another way that we all hold ourselves hostage in our transformational process. We don't commit to it until we understand it. 
Well, I'm sorry, people, it doesn't work that way. That is not the order things come in. You commit first. And then you find out what that commitment means, what that will extract from you, what of your life that will require you to let go of because you've outmoded that aspect of your life by your growth. There's nothing wrong with it. You're not a bad person. You haven't done anything wrong. It's just you're done. You've lived it. It's over. Move along. And that's all this time is asking of us, that we collapse the lies. And a lie can simply be that I keep, need to keep doing this. I've done it. I've lived it. It's climaxed. It's over. Move along. What would you do today if you knew, knew you were going to die tomorrow? And how would your life change if you asked yourself that every morning? And this is, of course, the question that leads us to the idea of death as an ally. But I encourage you all to take that out of that nice, comfy, psychological place that gets put in like a book on the shelf. Oh, yes, I must now cultivate death as an ally. And you bring death into your heart. You can sit every morning in meditation with death and say, Death, what would I do today if I knew I was going to die tomorrow? And there is no helping spirit like death who can bring up your passion for life. And this is the purpose of our talk today, passion. So everyone, here we go to the next set of commercials. And please join me again when we come back. Thank you very much. Welcome back, everyone. We have a question from Jackie here in Oregon where we are enjoying the exquisite energy of springtime. And this is a lovely segue into the next section of our talk here today. Her question is this. How can a human being, without training like a pastor or priest, receive spirit, as you say, without burning out, like a holy energy burning out a human receptor? Well, in my humble experience, and I mean that seriously, in my humble experience with these energies, it is simply all about relationships. It is about the quality of the relationship that we engage in with these energies, with this holy energy, this sacred energy. And that it's our job to adjust the dials. And this is what boundaries are about. This is what having some understanding about human relationship is about. And it's about what paying attention in our relationships with each other, with the environment, with the spirit world is all about. If we're codependent in all of our relationships, we will be codependent with the sacred, and the sacred will fry us. Because the energetic structure of codependent relationships is um, sets you up to become energetic roadkill. And so you will get burned out. It's not that the human receptor can't run these other energies. It can it is designed for ecstasy. It is designed for prolonged and sustained altered states. It's in our physiology. There is nothing in the design of the human being that is not organized for these ecstatic altered states. It is your birthright. The issue is we're taught from these tiny little stories we've been told by religions, schools, cultures, families, whatever, that we are small, limited, flawed beings that are only capable of petty little relationships of anger and resentment and jealousy and envy, etc., excess, um, addiction. And that is not who we are, not remotely who we are. We are designed 
to be in ecstatic relationship with all living things. And there's the breathe in and the breathe out of that. We're certainly not in ecstasy in every single moment. But that is a state of being that we can live in. We are designed for that. It will not burn us out. If we are simply willing to open our hearts to true love and to simply love and not engage in any of those other versions of relationships that your culture, all of you Americans who are talking to me, because I know I'm here with you, that your culture is training you into. Addiction, obsession, codependence, need, free-floating anxiety. That is not your birthright. It is way too simple and it doesn't work in the end. And so this is what we're talking about today is that life occurs through relationships and you are responsible for the quality of your relationships, not the other. The other's just out there waiting. You are responsible for the quality of your relationships. And if you don't know how to be different in relationship, learn some skills. Take a class that will teach you. It is not that hard because it's natural. You've unlearned your natural state of loving relationship with all things. You've learned all these other ways of being. Unlearn them. There's people all over the place teaching you. I mean, I'd be happy to. I'd be honored to have you in my classes, but I am not the only one. Get thee to a class and learn new skills so that you can live in love with other people, with the environment, with your pets, with the divine. I don't care with what, but learn to engage in loving relationships. Step away from dysfunction, addiction, obsession, etc. There's no point. Besides, you've done them all you know they're not working. Remember I talked before about things you've lived out, their usefulness? Those are the things, the usefulness you've lived out. You've survived. Make a new choice. Learn new skills. Live in love. And understand that that relationship will allow you to adjust yourself and relate to all things in a way that the energies flow with grace that supports life. So, We need to rediscover our connection to our passion because it is our passion that will help to guide us in these relationships. Um, It's important that you don't allow other people to tell you what your passion should be, what passion you should have, but we're talking only about the passion that you feel in your body. Um, I was teaching a workshop a while ago at the Omega Institute, and there was a woman there of a particular generation of women in America who were taught that their passion is their husband and their children, that they were flawed as a woman if they had a passion outside of that. And that's what they were taught culturally. And so she came by this belief honestly, and I have no negative negativity towards her at all. She came by this belief honestly. Her belief and her life experience was that her passion was her husband and his passion and her children and their passions. And beyond that, she had no other passions. And what she was disturbed by in this particular class I was teaching is that the metaphors that I kept using for what I was trying to describe about the relationships, be they good or you know, healthy relationships or unhealthy relationships, were sexual metaphors. Because, frankly, great sex is a great metaphor for healthy relationships. And it was really handy, and most people have had it, good or bad, and they, it's a good reference point for everybody. But she was really disturbed by all this sex talk. She said, couldn't you possibly use metaphors that didn't involve sex talk? 
And so we explored that, and bless her heart for having the courage and the openness and the willingness in the midst of this huge, huge workshop to, to pursue this question with me. And I told her that I would be happy to use other metaphors, but let's explore why she was asking me to. And what we came to in that exploration was this fact that I'd shared before, which is that she had been taught that her passion was outside of herself. And all of this sex talk that was bringing her back to her loins was telling her that there was something else there that was hers alone. And it was going head-to-head with this primary operating system belief she'd run her whole life on. And the release for her was when she realized that there was nothing wrong with the choice that she'd made and run her whole life on. But she was 60-whatever now, and she could make whatever choice she wanted. And if she wanted to find her own passion, living in her own loins, she could do that. It was an awakening for her, a, a birth for her, to recognize that in spite of everything, her passion loved her. And it sat there right where it belonged, burning away, waiting for her to put a couple sticks on that fire and allow that to begin to burn. So, what we need to do is to reorganize. Oh, my goodness, we're already coming to the next break. Let me hurry up here. So, what we're looking at then is the quality of our relationships with everything in our life. And what we need to do, whether we use our helping spirits or other helping people in our life or simply our own work, however we do this, is we need to learn to let things be what they are. In other words, we all need to learn to let love be love. Not a way to make other things happen in our life, to get approval or to get safety or to get protection, but simply let love be love. We all need to learn to let sex be sex. Sex doesn't make you a man. Sex doesn't define you as a good woman. Sex isn't a way to get love. There's a whole lot of things we use sex for. Sex is pretty cool in and of itself. It's a great gift we've been given. It's amazing. But you need to let sex be sex. You need to learn to let food be food. Food's got a job. It nourishes you, brings energy into your life so you can do what you've come here to do. It fuels you so that you can live your soul's purpose. That's not going to work if food is what you do instead of having sex and being in love. Got to let food be food. Got to let shopping be shopping, working out be working out, whatever it is that you're trying to do to make something else happen. You got to be honest with yourself. Let things be what they are. I'm not saying don't do them. I'm just saying do them for a true and honest motivation. Eat to nourish yourself. Love to be an expression of love in the world. Allow this awareness to shift your relationship with things. And you might as well work first with all the things you're relating to in your life and work your way out from there. And I want to share with you this beautiful um, quote from Tom Robbins. It's from Esquire magazine back in October of 1993. Because he's talking about this, and I don't want to run out of time to read this beautiful uh, quote to you. But basically, what, what I see it as an example of the way I approach this whole thing, which is, as a good scientist, I create a hypothesis. Let's say sex could be sex. And then I run the experiment, which means I have to act as if it is true. I don't have to believe it. 
I have to act as if it's true to run a good experiment. And then I get to sit back and look at it and decide whether I think it is or not. And that is what I suggest that you do in this process of adjusting your relationships with everything in your life, is treat it as a hypothesis. Run the experiment. See what happens. You don't have to believe it before you do it. You're a creative being. You can act as if and see what occurs. So back to Tom. This is what Tom had to say. If you need to visualize the soul, think of it as a cross between a wolf howl, a photon, and a dribble of dark molasses. But what it really is, as near as I can tell, is a packet of information. It's a program, a piece of hyperspatial software designed explicitly to interface with the mystery. Not a mystery, mind you. The mystery. The one that can never be solved. To one degree or another, everyone is connected to the mystery, and everyone secretly yearns to expand the connection. That requires expanding the soul. These things can enlarge the soul. Laughter, danger, imagination, meditation, wild nature, passion, compassion, psychedelics, beauty, iconoclasm, <laughs> and driving around in the rain with the top down. These things can diminish it. Fear, bitterness, blandness, trendiness, egoism, violence, corruption, ignorance, grasping, shining, and eating ketchup on cottage cheese. Data is our psychic program. It's often nonlinear, non-hierarchical, archaic, alive, and teeming with paradox. Simply booting up is a challenge, if not for no other reason than that most of us find acknowledging the unacknowledgeable and monitoring its intrusions upon the familiar and mundane more than a little embarrassing. More immediately, by waxing soulful, you will have granted yourself the possibility of ecstatic participation in what the ancients considered a divinely animated universe. And on a day-to-day basis, folks, it doesn't get any better than that. Welcome back, everyone. We have a lovely question here from Daniel in Washington, uh, Washington State. And it's a good segue into this next part because we're really going to be talking here about passion and its relationship with sex. So Daniel's asking, or commenting, that he's getting a sense that the feeling of being charged by something and the feeling of passion for something are not synonymous, and that how do we separate out the distinction between a charge and a passion? And then his second question is, so how do we know we've succeeded in releasing what we don't want from what we do? So I can only speak from my own physical experience. But my understanding, the way I would say it is this, that when I feel charged by something, and believe me, people, I'm one of those people that amps up. I'm sure you haven't noticed, but I am a person who gets charged up when I get annoyed by things and frustrated by things. I'm not a shutting down person. I'm definitely an amping up person. So I know what it feels like to get charged. For me, once I start paying attention to what's going on, I feel a cycling around that I'm going around and around in circles myself. So it's a circular motion energetically, like a horizontal circle. And also I feel myself disconnecting from the web of life. My heart is growing smaller, not larger. So if I really tune in, those are the things that I would notice. Whereas when I feel a passion, and I'll call this a small p passion, when I I feel a passion for something, my heart warms and opens. My And what I feel more is the vertical line of my core, not the horizontal circling, but more the vertical line from my 
you know, from my pubic bone up straight through my body, maybe even all the way up into the top of my head, depending on how big a passion it is. So I actually feel um, aligned and my heart opening in that alignment versus circling around and my heart closing in the center of that little circle. So that's what it feels like to me. But now there is a big capital P passion in all of our lives, and it is the passion, like the mystery Tom was talking about. It is the passion that is what we've been given to align us with our soul's purpose. That passion not only makes me feel aligned and my heart open, but I also feel my entire upper chakras open because the universal information starts moving through me. So it's not just me and my own ideas, but I start connecting into a bigger set of ideas that I don't necessarily know before they come out of my mouth or whatever. But the other thing about this passion that is perhaps more tangible is that if I am dog-tired and exhausted and all I want to do is crawl in bed and sleep for three days with my cat, if someone comes to me and asks me a question about that capital P passion, that passion will rise up in me like a little alien in the movie Aliens. It rises up in me and animates me. And I respond to that question, and I could potentially converse for hours about that passion, even though I personally, Christina, am spent. And when that person leaves and no longer has an interest in that passion, the question is gone, the conversation is gone, I will slump back down like an empty puppet and go to sleep. That's the big passion, the one that animates you no matter what state you're in because it is your reason for existence. It has a life of its own. That's what we're looking for, and so we're wanting to release the charges and feel the small P passions until we can get to that feeling of that big capital P passion that lives in the realm of our life with the big M mystery and the big S source and the capital D divine and all of those energies that are bigger than we are. Your passion is your gift from the universe. It's not yours. It's what you've been given to bring here. And it's the thing that guides you to bring the unique gifts that you've come into this life to bring. And this isn't about you. In a sense, these aren't your gifts. They're humanities. But you're the vehicle to bring them. That's why you're here. Humanity called you here. You're called into manifestation by the need for that gift. It could even be your descendants calling you. That's the level we're talking about when we're talking about passion. So one of the teachers that helped me understand these energies was a teacher named Daniel Villasenor, who is a Qigong master, um, energy master, martial artist. And he said that sexual well-being is human flourishing, that qi began to be called vitality for the U.S. in the 1970s so that we could process tai chi and qigong in our Western minds. However, in China... She was called sexuality or native vitality. And there's an understanding in this body of wisdom, in the Taoistic body of wisdom, that bodies, human bodies, are innately sexual. They don't need to be sexualized. They are innately sexual. Now, what I have gained and continue to gain from shamanism is freedom. And the ability to choose to act in the world to manifest freedom. So it's not just my own inner freedom and my own investigation of my own navel, but freedom within myself 
which then manifests freedom outside of myself, but also the willingness to act, to create freedom for others, for myself and for others. But the greatest freedom is your freedom from your story. And this allows a passionate relationship with your soul, a passionate relationship with purpose, and a passionate relationship with spirit. And this is what we talked about earlier. It's all about your relationship. It's all about the quality of your relationship with your passion, the quality of your relationship with your soul, and the quality of relationship with spirit in a large sense. And as we're coming up on the close of this show, it's amazing, I can't believe an hour has gone by, I want to share a poem by Jewel Matheson um, from her book called This Dance, A Poultice of Poems. We have come to be danced, not the pretty dance, not the pretty, pretty, pick me, pick me dance, but the claw your way back into the belly of the sacred, sensual animal dance, the unhinged, unplugged, cat is out of the box dance, the holding of the precious moment in the palms of our hands and feet dance. We have come to be danced, not the jiffy booby shake your booty for him dance, not the ringing the sadness of your skin dance, but the blow the chip off your shoulder dance, the slap the apology out of your posture dance. We have come to be danced, not the monkey see monkey do dance, one, two dance like you, one, two, three dance like me, but the grave robber, tomb stalker, tearing scabs and scars open dance, the rub the rhythm raw against your soul dance. We have come to be danced, not the nice invisible self-conscious shuffle, but the matted hair flying voodoo mama shaman shaking ancient bone dance. The strip us from our casings, return our wings, sharpen our claws and tongues dance. The shed dead cells and slip into the luminous skin of love dance. We have come to be danced. Not the hold our breath and wallow in the shallow end of the floor dance but the meeting of the Trinity, the body, breath, and beat dance, the shout hallelujah from the top of our thighs dance, the mother may I, yes, you may take ten giant leaps dance, the ollie ollie oxen free, free, free dance, the everyone can come to our heaven dance. We have come to be danced where the kingdoms collide. In the cathedral of flesh, to burn back into the light, to unravel, to play, to fly, to pray, to root in skin sanctuary. We have come to be danced. We have come. So let your sex be emerging. Whether you have sex with yourself or with others, let your sexual experiences be a celebration of life. If the idea of sex as emerging with the divine, with the person that you're with feels icky, then say no. You're with the wrong people. Stop. Say no a thousand times until you can say yes. Let sex plant the seed of your passion that grows. Let sex be the actions through which you transform the energy into vitality for life. Remember, you have come to be danced. So I thank the spirits of the ancestors of the earth, of the sky, and of our hearts that connect us all for this time together. May we be inspired to dance, to feel our passion, and to know love in all things in our life. For any more information you want about anything that happened here today, go to the website, lastmasscenter.org, and join us next week for Ray Stubbs and the Sexual Shaman. Thank you all. <laughs>